Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the Virago Podcast, a monthly celebration of books, reading and writing, Brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Hi, Deborah. Thank you so much for coming on the Virago Books podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. (laughs) I was just saying to Johnny, we're a very fledgling podcast, so it feels Mm. a bit crazy that the guilty feminist Deborah Francis Wade is on here. I'm so so delighted, (laughs) and it's wonderful to be uh, here in your virgin season. <laughs> Thank you. So we're recording this on Friday, the 5th of October, and Amy Schumer got arrested uh, yesterday for protesting uh, against Brett Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation, which depressingly is probably going to happen tomorrow. Um, I'd already thought about talking to you about comedy and feminism, but this seems you know, particularly apt day to be talking about it. So I wondered if you could just talk about why is comedy important to feminism today? Well, um, when I was doing my book tour for Virago around the country, uh, signing books with Virago, Virago <laughs> Books, the book is out. The book is out in hardback, ebook, and audiobook on Vir- from Virago. <laughs> She's um, such a pro. <laughs> I, I mean, subtle though. And uh, uh, one of the things that people said to me a lot... Uh, who, because I got to meet them because they were coming to have their book signed and they said what the podcast meant to them. And so many women said, oh, I work in a very male-dominated office or a very male-dominated industry, I'm in STEM or this or that. And I always feel like the unfun one. I always feel like the one with no sense of humour. I feel like the one that's cross about things. And then when the podcast comes out on Monday, I remember, no, I am fun. No, I do have a good sense of humour. And uh, I, I, if I'm with my people, like this, you know, I, I am fun. This is my place to celebrate. And I realized that I wanted my next book to be called In on the Joke. Because I think there is a power in being in on the joke. Mm. Because who creates the power structures of which the jokes hang? Who decides what the butt of the joke is or mm. who the butt of the mm. joke is? And what The Guilty Feminist has become is a play space that is also a jungle gym structure where we have a worldview. It's a paradigm for discussing things. And within it, we are in on the joke. Mm. And that's why it's important. It's intersectional. Because there have been times when we've said something and somebody's written in and said, 
I'm a sex worker who listens to your show and this week, effectively, I didn't feel in on the joke. I felt the joke was mm. about people like me. And we've really had to learn how to include more and more people and create that space. Um, not that we were joking about sex workers per se, but you know, there was something that was said yeah. that in a way made somebody feel excluded. Yeah. And we've had to learn to create uh, a structure where all of our listeners and all the the feminists who wish to listen or people who perhaps don't even identify as feminists but are interested uh, or are listening in just to just to hear what this is about feel in on the joke mm. and included and i think um the the comedy in it is so important because it's a celebratory place and it's a place where creativity can thrive and the the kind of feminism i'm interested in certainly is is not just feminism that points and says, we don't like that, that's what we don't want, or brings hammers to smash things down, mm-hmm. which we absolutely do need to do, by the way. But this feminism now through the internet is one in which we are able to bring bricks and say, let's build the world we do want mm-hmm. to live in. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really nice metaphor. Um, I, I had another question actually sort of related to what you were saying, which is where does this idea come from that women aren't funny and that especially feminists aren't funny. I, I think you you sort of started to answer it by this idea about who builds the power structure, who builds the jokes. Yeah, I mean, look, anger is a perfectly reasonable response to exclusion. The most, the most common response to exclusion is self-exclusion. Mm. If you build a private members club and say men only, women will not come up to the door. They'll see the door, it says men only, and they'll go away. Yeah. That is the most common response to exclusion. Uh, golf clubs in America that were only for white people. Um, uh, the House of Commons, when only men could vote, mm. the most common response was, this isn't for me. Mm. But generally what happens then is some people in the tribe who are excluded get angry and go, hold on, why are women not allowed in here? Mm-hmm. So you get a few people from that tribe getting angry, and that's the second most common response to exclusion after self-exclusion is anger. Mm. Anger. So that's what the stereotype is of the angry lesbian, the angry feminist, the angry black woman. These are the groups who are excluded. And if you don't think straight white men get angry when they get excluded, <laughs> try putting on a female-only screening of Wonder Woman in your local <laughs> cinema. Try starting a new women's network in your industry, and you will find that they, oh, what about men? And what about yeah. International Men's Day? Um, it is a common response to exclusion, mm-hmm. but actually, especially white straight men, not all, obviously, most yeah. understand what International Women's Day is. But some members of that group get very angry because they're just not used to rooms that they're not allowed mm-hmm. to go into. Mm-hmm. It's very new, this kind of exclusion for yeah. them. So I understand that they, they're starting to come to terms with that. And there's mm-hmm. a certain response to that. So that's where the stereotype comes from, that feminists aren't funny or don't have a Mm, sense of mm, humour but I think now uh, of course that's always been not true of course Roxanne Gay Gloria Steinem the suffragettes had a sense of humour they did lots of funny pranks and stuff of course of course they had a sense of humour but perhaps the things that were most famous about them were not the jokes Mm. but the the ways in which they angrily broke down the system Um, but now we are in a in a in a phase of history where the artists have taken control of the means of production we don't have to get permission from gatekeepers anymore Mm. and so we can publish not just outrages but also our comedy podcasts and our funny books Mm. and our 
um, blogs and our YouTube videos. And yeah. so we're seeing a lot more manifestations of comedy from mm. feminists than we were able to in previous mm. eras. In the same way that you've just mentioned all these di- different proliferation of, of media, I, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about the podcast is that you tackle every subject. So, um, you know, from porn to food to motherhood to minefields, everything. I wondered, is there anything that you wouldn't make a joke about? How, you know, how do you choose your subjects? Um, did Have you ever, you mentioned before, sometimes sort of making mistakes or, you know, sort of having to rethink things? Um, yeah, where are the boundaries with comedy? Well, I don't think there are any subjects that cannot be funny or that no jokes can be made mm. about them. But sometimes I note that some comedians have a colonial attitude towards Mm. comedy. So here's an example. Ricky Gervais's recent Netflix special opens with a long routine about Caitlyn Jenner. And Ricky Gervais uses her dead name, which means, if you don't know that expression, uh, the name that she had when she presented Mm -hmm. as a man. And uses a lot of graphic... uh, sort of crass, uh, uses a lot of crass language about transitioning. And he argues, well, I'm a provocateur and this is the point of this comedy is it's shocking and anything can be funny and anything can be joked about. I'm a comedian. I'm allowed to joke about anything. And my answer to that would be, well, yeah, you you clearly can do that because you're doing it. It's evident Mm. and you're being paid a lot of money to do it. In the same way that white men like you went into other people's countries with guns and smashed stuff up Mm. and took over. They could do that and they did do it. The question is, do you want to do that? Because that seems very colonial to me because that is not your country. Transgender, gender fluidity, it's not your country. You don't own it. You don't know Mm. anything about it. It's not where you live. You've never had to feel the pain. You've never had to transition. You've never had to, you've never had to understand what it's like. I'm very interested in comedy about transitioning. I guess it must be funny at times. I'm interested in hearing that from someone who's mm. experienced it. So is there great comedy in transitioning? Of course. Um, and there's stuff in Transparent, which, who's it's written by Jill Soloway. Yeah. And yeah. Jill Soloway... Uh, Jill Soloway's one of her parents transitioned and she herself has now transitioned and is non-binary so she's written that from a place of understanding mm. so you, and you know, there are issues people have with, with, with that show in other ways with casting and things mm. but, the, 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 but the, the writing is ex- absolutely extraordinary and, and she does write funnily about transitioning but it comes from a place of understanding so I don't think you can't make jokes about transitioning Mm. but I would question if Ricky Gervais needs to why he wants to and I would I would not assume that there is no societal hurt caused Mm. by that because those jokes will be thrown around in the playground Mm. Those jokes will be used as weapons. Those jokes will be sent around on YouTube. Those jokes will hurt people mm. who are already oppressed. Mm. So that's my answer. There are jokes, there are things that I wouldn't joke about 
but that doesn't mean those things should not be joked about. Yeah. If that were my experience, I was sharing. Yeah, I was just thinking about like Tignataro, like her amazing show about yeah, all right. kinds of trauma, and but it's her story. But it's not for me yeah. to do jokes about mastectomies. Yeah, because I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. But it is for Tig to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tig Tig has an amazing joke about oh god, amazing joke where she says that her stepfather, since she had her mastectomy, which was after her mother had died, if I'm remembering correctly. She said, he's very concerned about my breasts, and it's quite awkward for me. (laughs) And she said, I mean, if he'd shown any interest in my breasts previously, it would be fine, but he never did. And now, and of course, that's a terrible, you know, that's a a terrible conundrum, but of course you understand what she's saying. And it's incredibly funny to say, well, if my stepfather had shown any interest in my breasts while my mother was alive, or, you know, Mm. it's so funny. But it's only a joke that Tig can make. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I was also thinking about Hannah Gadsby's amazing show, Nanette, who I know you're, mm. you're very close to, and um, and she's uh, contributed an incredible piece as well to The Guilty Feminist, and there's obviously so much in that show that only she could say, and but you yes. feel completely comfortable with her saying it. Absolutely, and, yeah. absolutely. And, and she talks about even some jokes that she doesn't do anymore mm. because she felt they were self-deprecating yes. for people, for herself, and they were... Uh, capitalizing on her trauma in a way mm. that was unhealthy for her and un, un, um, unuseful for her growth, but also that she felt that other people in her marginalized position may also uh, continue a self-deprecation mm. and a self uh, a, a sort of humiliation through that process. So it was her decision to release some of her jokes mm. and give them up and and, and push on and do a different sort of comedy, mm-hmm. a sort of storytelling sort of comedy that, that allowed for a third act, if you will, that was not always a punchline. Yeah. And do you think that's, I guess maybe you have to think about it differently now that things can be taken so out of context that you can get, get just like a little clip on YouTube or a soundbite or something on Twitter. Maybe that's different than if you were telling doing stand-up 30 years ago when no one's recording it. Or do you not think that's changed it actually that much? Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think you do have to be careful now if you're putting out a piece on the internet mm. to understand that people may not listen to the end or may not watch to mm. the end. So if you're leading them somewhere, um, uh, be clear that if they only watched half, they would understand something about Mm. what you were saying or your view of the world and that you weren't endorsing a view of the world that was unpleasant, where there was going to be some kind of twist. Um, So I wanted to end on a... um, We've already talked about uh, lots of comedians that we we both like, um, and I just wanted to end by asking you, who would you recommend? I know you're up in Edinburgh this year. Um, I'm sure you're going to the theatre and, you know, watching comedy all the time. Um, who can you recommend to our listeners that they should watch or read or listen to in terms of comedy today? Other um, than all the amazing people in your book, of course. So <laughs> Rosie Jones, she's an example of someone who's doing comedy with a unique voice, giving people a real insight into disability. Rosie has cerebral palsy, and I've learned so much and understood mm. so much about disability through working with her, and her technique is extraordinary. Her timing is incredible. Her craft is amazing. She's honestly one of the most hysterical people I've ever, ever met. But man, she's doing so much work for disability rights. It's through her comedy. It's astounding. So check out Rosie Jones. Catherine Bohart 
um, also doing unique comedy. Uh, she has OCD and she's bisexual and she talks about those things through... I think people like uh, Catherine and uh, Rosie and Hannah, what I feel they're doing is they're taking us to a familiar window, but they're showing us a new view. Mm. And Grace Petrie does that as well. Where she has a song called Black Tie Tonight. We've had her on the podcast a few times and she actually co-hosted one. She's a very brilliant, brilliant songwriter. Um, um, she takes us over to that familiar window of feeling like there were one out at school, mm. that we absolutely all know that place. And then she shows us the view of if you are a young teenage girl with masculine gender expression and you have a new understanding mm. about something, but you completely relate to the song. Um, so check that out. It's called Black Tie, and it's Grace Petrie. Um, also, Steve Alley, who's a Syrian refugee who lives in my spare room and is like my brother, um, is doing a new storytelling piece called Al- "The Alcohol of the Soul," which is what a uh, <laughs> amazing title. I'm sold already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you know what it refers to? The alcohol no, of the soul. No. It's what a famous Islamic thinker called music, mm-hmm. and that's why music was Haram band when Steve was growing up because he was from a very religious family and music does for your soul what alcohol does for your body Mm. and so music was not allowed and so this piece is about Steve coming to music with it having where it was a banned substance in his Mm. childhood and how a little bit of alcohol started to seep into his soul (laughs) Uh, because it's hard to keep music completely away you cannot drink the drink mm. but of course music seeps out yeah. of shops and taxis and it's in yeah. the street and you hear a little bit and uh, he tells the story of the first time he ever saw an instrument in real mm. life because his school was more secular and uh, a chap came in with a mullet um, and he said he was dressed like an alien and I now realise being in London the alien he was dressed as was David Bowie um, but he had a piano <laughs> accordion and he played Steve says the only piece of music he could recognise by name, the Syrian national anthem, wow. on this piano accordion. He said, I was tot- as new as Haram, but I was totally gripped watching how his fingers and his hands made this music. And he said, I don't know what your first live gig was or how it made you feel, but mine was the Syrian David Bowie playing the Syrian <laughs> national anthem on a piano accordion. <laughs> and I was completely captivated. And all I could think was, where can I get more of this this, this addictive, intoxicating substance? Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant piece. So look out for that. Steve Alley and the alcohol, of the, uh, the alcohol of the Soul. It's actually going to be on our Amnesty International uh, podcast, which is called The Secret Policeman's Podcast Live. And you'll be able to get that on the Guilty Feminist podcast stream soon. You'll be able to hear Steve Annie's alcohol of the soul. So tune into that. Thank you so much. Um, I know all my colleagues are massed outside, also wanting a bit of you. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, call this to a close now. But thank you so much for coming on to the Virago podcast. And we hope to have you on again. It has been an unqualified delight, Sarah Savard. <laughs> and uh, I'll come back anytime. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Virago podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and also leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We'd also love you to be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, virago.co.uk. Tune in next month for another installment of Books, Feminism, and Conversation from Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 